Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, October 28, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports I Own College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And today we are continuing our run through previews of what are typically the seven best conferences in college basketball. We've already done the American, the ACC, the Big East, the Big Ten, and the Big 12. Next up, is the Pac-12 where Mick Cronin's UCLA Bruins are the obvious favorite? I have them second in the top 25 and one, 14 spots ahead of the next best Pac-12 team, which in my opinion is Oregon. In the Pac-12 media poll a few weeks back, UCLA got 32 of a possible 34 first place votes. Oregon received the other two votes. So dead leg, let, let's start with UCLA. In your one to three fifty-eight rankings, you had the Bruins sixth. Kim Palm has them seventh. But again, I have them second, and, uh, as does the AP poll, as does Torvik. So that seems to be the range, two to seven. So let me ask you this. What would be your response to those who say, because lots have said it, this team was 45th at Kenpom when the NCAA tournament started last season, got in a bracket just barely, then nearly lost to Michigan State in the first four. If they lose that game, and they could have lost that game, yep. they probably finished between – 45th and 50th at Ken Palm, right around Clemson, Missouri, VCU. Truth is, this is what people say, the Bruins weren't that good last season. They just got hot late, and everybody's preseason ranking is a wild overreaction to nothing more than a well-timed five-game winning streak. To be clear, that is not my opinion. I'm super high on UCLA, but from the moment I started ranking the Bruins, as high as I've ranked them, I've heard that pushback from lots of people. How do you respond to that? Um, I think it's a reasonable opinion. I've broached it on the podcast before. Uh, I'll note UCLA was a 17-5 and team before its four-game losing streak put it into that position of even needing to go through Michigan State in the first four before it went on its big run. I also don't discount the run itself when you knock out Michigan State, quality BYU team that was top 25 level, Easily, in my opinion, uh, they get a little bit of a break with Abilene Christian. I get that in the tournament, and then they play two seed Alabama. They, I, w- I saw that game in person at Hinkle. What a phenomenal <laughs> game that was! Um, well earned, but you know, it, it went their way again. They win a super tight one against Michigan. Final possession, Michigan makes the wrong play. Uh, and then they push Gonzaga to the brink before Gonzaga gets knocked out. But they won the game, so they still get credit for it. However, having said that, um, the reason why they're ranked so high, and I don't, again, I've got them right in that 6-7 range, is because they return almost the entire roster. And when you look at, you know, the top end of Johnny Juzang, and Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hawkes, 
all three players, which were published in our top 101 list on Wednesday, those are three of the 100 best players in college basketball, and they've got a they've got a freshman coming in who didn't make our list but came damn close in Peyton Watson. I think they've got enough there. My point with UCLA is this. I feel as though it is way too... And I, I guess I'm in, I'm included in this group because I ranked in this high. But yes, we have a very much groupthink situation here. If we get to the middle of December, or if we get to the CBS Sports Classic, which we'll both be at in Vegas, where UCLA plays every year, and the Bruins are a good team, but they're just you know they might look closer to 18 or 21 than number two or number five. That personally will not surprise me, but they've got the roster to validate their standing in the preseason. Yeah, um, in that NCAA tournament run, they went from 45th at Ken Palm to 13th. That's where they finished, 13th. And I guess I would counter-argue the people who are um, dismissive of UCLA. And, and it's all relative. Like, nobody thinks UCLA stinks. It's just like they shouldn't be number two in the country. That's what some people say. I, I guess I would, I would counter-argue that with, you know, that five-game winning streak that pushed them from 45th at Ken Palm to 13, that five-game winning streak that that took them to the Final Four, um, and and pushed their you know again their computer numbers through the roof. That it counts just like anybody else's five-game winning streak counts. Yeah, you know the argument against them that I hear is you wouldn't have them ranked here if they didn't go to the Final Four, which means the argument is if UCLA didn't do that thing it did, you wouldn't think of the Bruins the way you think of the Bruins. Well, sure, I guess. But but they did do it. They did what they did. Yes. It's like saying if you know if Drew Timmy wasn't Gonzaga's leading scoring rebounder last season, you wouldn't have him as Player of the Year this season. Okay, maybe. But he did what he did, and UCLA did what it did. So I, I think it's reasonable to to react accordingly. Like you said, they they return literally everybody who was a part of that Final Four run. They add Peyton Watson, five star freshman. You know, some projecting to be a top ten pick in next year's NBA draft. You know, Johnny Juzang, Hami Hakez are both preseason All-Americans. You know, Juzang averaged 22.8 points in the NCAA tournament, got 28 on Michigan, 29 on Gonzaga. Hakez, you know, he averaged 12.3 points, 6.1 rebounds last season, but he got 27 in that first four win over Michigan State, got 19 against Gonzaga in the final four. Tiger Campbell, rock solid veteran point guard, 10.4 points, 5 points four assists last season. So UCLA is returning five double-digit scores. It has two preseason All-Americans, at least three players who could be picked in next year's draft, plus the greatest coach in UCLA history. Mm-hmm. Like, what is not the like here? Hashtag stay in the court. <laughs> hashtag nail can, nail can stay. You're damn right. Not only that, so that's the context in the in throughout the, like the, the national rankings, right? Um the conference itself also loses a lot of its top scores. Like I had a coach tell me, I think like 16 of the 20 top scores in this conference are gone from a season ago, but UCLA brings everyone back, which further establishes why this should be the preseason favorite with, I think some room to buffer there. We'll get to Oregon in a minute, who I think is the most obvious contender there. Although USC also has a case, but between Hawkes, Juzang and Tiger Campbell, You've got three of the five best players in the league there. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying that UCLA is a guarantee number one, number two seed when we get to March. 
But when you look at this team relative to the rest of its league and relative to the rest of the teams in that conversation for preseason top 15 status, uh, I think it's I think it's all fair. I also think Tiger Campbell is going to be much better. And I'll give our buddy Rob Doster a shout here. He he maintains, he's the one pounding the table saying, it's not going to be Juzang that's the best player. We're going to look up, and Jaime Jaquez is going to be UCLA's best guy on that team. And if that's the case, and Juzang's close to what he was last season, then this is not going to be much of a debate. Um, they will be a top-five team. And I also, to go big picture on it, and I mentioned this in my 1-358 to capsule, this is, I'm loving how we're starting this podcast. It is, and this is sometimes a talking point where people will fall back on in, a, in a, a variety of sports. It rings so damn true in college basketball. When UCLA is top 10 good, national championship contender good, final four good, the West Coast needs that. College sports needs that. College basketball needs UCLA to be good and to be relevant, to be interesting, to have stars, to have future NBA draft picks, potential lottery picks. This is an un deniable great thing for college basketball. It has not been the case for much of the past decade, almost decade and a half with UCLA. We're finally back at that point, and there is optimism at levels that we haven't seen heading into a November in Westwood in a good while. It is wild. Everything, you know, <laughs> acknowledging everything I said and what I believe, it is wild that they entered the NCAA tournament on a four-game losing streak, and if they would have lost – to Michigan State. And it was an overtime game. But, you know, overtime games means it was a one possession in regulation. You could have lost it. You, you, you miss one shot. Somebody else makes one shot. The mm -hmm. game goes the other direction. If they'd have lost that game, they would have finished 17 and 10 and on a five-game losing streak. I know. I still think we'd have them preseason top 25 if they had done that. Though. I do, too. Yeah. Okay. I do, too. They would still be preseason top 25 even if they did that. But they didn't do that. So I don't care. <laughs> Stay in the court. They did what they did, damn it. They did what they did. They did what they did, and they, they should be respected accordingly. So after UCLA, the preseason Pac-12 media poll had it. Oregon, USC, Arizona, and Oregon State in that order. We're going to get into uh, those teams next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So after UCLA, the preseason Pac-12 media poll had at Oregon, USC, Arizona, and Oregon State in that order. You and I both have Oregon above USC, but Kim Palm has it flip-flop. USC, then Oregon. What do you like, dead leg, about Dana Altman's ducks, quack, quack? 
Quack, quack, quack. Oregon's going to have size, athleticism, a barrage of wings. You know this is going to happen uh, annually. Uh, big man in Folly Dante, he's on the road to recovering from an ACL injury. Uh, Jeff Goodman reported earlier this week that he's expected to be back in December at the earliest. When he returns, I think that's when Oregon can solidify his top 25 status. Don't know if the Ducks will necessarily show to be that early on, but they have Will Richardson back. We've got him as a top 100 player in the country. Quincy Guerrier via Syracuse, Davion Harmon via Oklahoma, who I think will fit like a glove in this system. And then Jacob Young via Rutgers are the transfers to note. And that's what it comes down to. I'm just going to trust Dana Altman with transfers. There was, uh, there was actual data and research done into head coaches, transfers, the commitments, and the performance. And Dana Altman easily, this is according to Athletic Director University, easily ranks as the most successful coach by transfer uh, in college basketball. Average win shares, 3.43. The next closest in win shares is Eric Musselman in his time at Arkansas and Nevada at 2.82. The amount of minutes played by transfer additions at Oregon under Dana Altman, 68.7%. That's clearly the most. He gets the most out of his transfers and has figured it out. So I'm just going to go with Oregon second because of that, Parrish. Um, but I would have USC a close close third. They only lo- they lose Evan Mobley and Tajidi, but otherwise 11 players return from that Elite Eight team that went 25-8. and eight. Like I think having USC ranked ahead of Oregon going in is more than reasonable. And I would argue that not having USC ranked in in a top 25, uh, borderline criminal. They were really good last season. I know they lost top three pick in the draft. I get that. But do you realize team shot 40? And a lot of this was Mobley. He was freshman. He was defensive player of the year in the conference, player of the year, freshman of the year. I get all that. But team shot 41% from two-point range against USC last season. That is absurd. That's absurd elite defense. They get back Isaiah Mobley, who I think will be fantastic this season. Big brother to Evan. Drew Peterson, Isaiah White. Um, Those are probably the three best guys coming back. Boogie Ellis, who you are all too familiar with, comes by way of Memphis. I think this change of scenery is going to suit him well. And then they've got a four-star combo guard coming in uh, at Southern Cal named Malik Thomas, who I don't like. Maybe by the end of the year, he starts to really emerge a bit, but to me, Oregon and USC are not that far apart. I put them neck and neck, but with some distance behind UCLA. Boogie Ellis, you know, Memphis after last season lost four transfers. Uh, Boogie Ellis, DJ Jeffries, um, Musa Cisse, and Damian Ba. And I can just tell you, Boogie is the one they wanted to keep. I, they didn't care about keeping all of them. Mm-hmm. Boogie is the one they wanted to keep. He It finally clicked for him at the end of last season. He scored at least 23 points in two of Memphis's final five games, got 27 in the AAC tournament against Houston, got 23 against Mississippi State in the NIT title game, shot 38.6% from three on 4.7 attempts per game on the season. And I'm with you. I think he's going to be really, really, really good at, at USC. And then they bring back five of the top eight scorers from an Elite Eight team. You know, they lost the biggest piece by far. You know, a guy that swept all the awards, a guy who is going to be a tremendous NBA player. Um, but they do bring back Isaiah Mobley, Drew Peterson, Ethan Anderson, two other players who averaged, you know, at least 14.7 minutes per game. So I think USC is going to be good, even if I do have them slightly behind Oregon. And I'm with you on Oregon. I'm just trusting Dana Altman. He, they, they won back-to-back outright 
Pac-12 titles, and they've won at least a share of four of the past six Pac-12 titles. And they bring in those three transfers you mentioned. All of them average double figures. All of them average at least 12.9 points per game, to be more specific. You know, Quincy was at 8.4 rebounds as well. Yeah. They just, you know, these are guys who are already proven at the high major level. And Dana has showed an, uh, shown an ability to be able to mesh these rosters and, and, and make it work. And I, I don't see any reason why you would expect them to be anything other um, than good again this season. Yeah, if you're the kind of fan who's listening to this podcast and you're familiar with what Oregon's done, but you don't follow the Pac-12 on a weekly or daily basis, you're not an Oregon fan, and you kind of are just used to seeing Oregon... Yeah, they're, they're normally ranked, and they're always in the tournament bracket, uh, but I almost never know anyone that's on their roster. It kind of is a testament to what Altman's capable of doing, and that is getting guys who d- don't always follow the same path. Like, he, yes, he brings in, sometimes he'll bring in guys who were legitimately good at a former school. They go to Oregon, and they're able to largely maintain that, or they were just, they were either the second, third, or fourth guy on a roster where they were previously. They step in, and he can help maintain a balance where they seem to get a little more production, just a little bit, and the collective benefits on the whole. I still think Will Richardson's the best player on the roster, but I think the difference between Richardson, Dante, who obviously is inherited on the roster, and again, Harmon, uh, Garrier, I don't think there's going to be that much of a difference. They just have a way of just getting all of these guys to buy in, which is not easy to do from a transfer situation. So I am, I do think the floor for Oregon is lower than I think the floor is for USC and obviously for UCLA, but we got to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think we're on the same page with Arizona. I've got them 29th in my rankings in terms of Arizona, where it lands in the pecking order. But I will say this, it's the toughest team to target in this league for me of all the 12 how will it go for Tommy Lloyd first season as a head coach GP? It's the program in the bits in the midst of like its biggest change in a decade, right? A decade plus. But then again, it hasn't been a program without chaos in recent seasons. So I don't know. A lot of what's going on there is new. I like the potential of Kirk Creesa and Dalen Terry, good guards. But again, um, referencing our top 100 players list, which went up Wednesday, it will be linked in the podcast description. If you want to check that out, we do have two Arizona players on it. Um, uh, Benedict Matherin and then Azul- Azulas Tubelis. Both, you know, Tubelis is like a s- sort of stretch five. Matherin, a quality, quality wing. Um, I think there's a chance here. You know, how how much time, say, uh, an Omar Bala, who barely got on the floor at Gonzaga, went with Tommy Lloyd to Arizona, can he can he develop? They brought in Justin Keir, who's a Georgia transfer. I think he needs some refining, but he's a fun player. I don't think this program is getting an IARP verdict until after this season. So this is going to be something of a trial and error run under Tommy Lloyd. But bottom line for me on Arizona GP, I think after a year after they self-imposed that postseason ban, I think that Arizona is going to have enough and they're going to be in the NCAA tournament this season. Agree or disagree? I agree. Um, it, it's wild because I think once a team goes on a postseason ban, they, they sort of, I don't they don't get off the radar. They're still playing, but it's like, I don't know. It makes them not seem to not matter as much. Right. And so, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time last season talking about Arizona's basketball team. I imagine we spent some time talking about Arizona's program and where, where is this thing headed? But I don't know. If we spent much time talking about Arizona's basketball team. Um, but they finished 29th at Kinpa. This is a good team. Beat USC, beat Colorado, beat Oregon State twice. 
And they do bring back two of the top four players, scores from that team, the two um, the two players you mentioned. And Matherin, you know, he shot 41.8% from three on 3.5 attempts per game. You get those up at that percentage, um, he will – you know, he'll he'll prove himself worthy of being on our preseason list of the top 101, um, you know, college basketball players in in the country. And, you know, the wild card here is, you know, it, it's Tommy's first season, like, you know, first time as a head coach. And, you know, I, I've, I've known Tommy for a long time. I believe in him. If I were Arizona, this is who I would have hired. I think he's going to be great. But like we've said, you know, many times you you don't know till you know. And um, so it'll be interesting to see how his head coaching career, um, you know, what kind of start it gets off to. But I do think he's got enough pieces here to maybe not compete for a Pac-12 title in year one, but definitely compete for a trip to the NCAA tournament, even if, for whatever it's worth, uh, Jerry Palm does not have Arizona in his bracket. He's got him as the first four out He's got the Pac-12 as a four-bid league with UCLA being a one seed, Oregon a three, USC a seven, and Oregon State as a nine seed getting in above Arizona. Beaver fever, where are you at right now? Beaver fever. Do you agree with that? I don't. I can get to my thoughts on Oregon State in a second, but would you put Oregon State in that? I don't have them top five. What about you? I would have... I I don't know where I... When I sit my ballot in, I'm not... I don't remember where I had Oregon state, but I definitely didn't have them above Arizona. And if, if we were calling the PAC 12, a four bid league, my four would be UCLA, Oregon, USC and Arizona. But I do think, you know, Oregon state can be good. I mean, they lose Ethan Thompson. That's massive. But I think they bring back six of the top eight, including Jared Lucas, who averaged 12.7 points. Shot 38.9% from three last season. Like, they bring back um, some good pieces from a team that went on an incredible run. Yeah. And, like, how about – I didn't. I don't remember this when it happened. You know, Wayne Tinkle got a new six-year contract worth $17.2 million? Yeah. Yes, I saw that. That is the most lucrative run of <laughs> for any coach last season in the NCAA tournament and perhaps one of the best of all time. Like, if he loses the Pac-12 tournament, loses a game in the Pac-12 tournament. That's right. If he loses a game. That's right. It's either over or he enters this season on the hot seat. It's not over. I, yeah, he's not. I don't think he's. I don't think it's over. But yeah, it's I don't think hot. it's over. But it's, he, he does enter with some real job pressure this season. That contract extension corresponds and is a direct response to what is, in my opinion, one of the most surprising Elite Eight runs by a power conference team in the past 30 years. I mean, Oregon State, I remember in real time talking on the podcast with you, thinking about being like, and like going and covering the game. I'm like, Oregon State? It's getting to the second weekend right now? Wait, Oregon State? I'm about to go cover the Beavers in the Elite Eight? I mean, I love that kind of variety. I love that the tournament can provide that exact thing. But let's not kid ourselves. This was a 10-10 and 10 team. See, the Oregon State fans are going to not be happy with us because the reasons we are justifying putting UCLA so high, Oregon State, while it didn't make a Final Four. Thought about this. But I got them 78 in my rankings, man. They were 10 and 10, and they struck gold. They only got in because of the auto bid, which they earned. 
they completely earned it. And then they made one of the more surprising runs we've seen. I mean, they've got Warith Alatiche, uh, who's was probably a little too solid last season to be a true breakout guy this season. But, you know, if you wanted to find breakout as maybe he's the guy that kind of surprises and turns into a first-team Pac-12 guy, then, yeah, that could be breakout. I think there's a potential there. He and guard Jared Lucas will be kind of the one-two for OSU this season. But I got him 78 GP. I've got Washington State at 52, Colorado at 62, and Stanford at 73 ahead of them. And I'll just vamp on these real quick, these three teams. Washington State. Trivia time. Oh no, <laughs> Clay Thompson. Yeah, <laughs> just go with Clay Thompson. I, you know what? I actually think I might have asked you this in the past month, so I'm gonna I'm gonna retract. I'm gonna retract. Last time, just uh, for fun, this won't count because I think I might have asked you last time they made the NCAA tournament. What year? Oh, I would never remember something like that. 2008. The last time Washington State played in a non-Pac-12 postseason game of any kind was 2012. They're going to go nuts in the Palouse this year because the basketball, while the football team hasn't given them a ton of reasons for... Uh, that dude sacrificed his job. Kyle Smith ain't messing <laughs> around like that. World? Kyle Smith is not messing around like that. He's going to have Washington State with its best season in more than a decade. I think that this will be the fifth best team in the conference. It ranked third in scoring defense and third in offensive rebounding percentage last season. Returns eight players led by Noah Williams. Junior guard who averaged 14 a game, really good. Freshman to know, Muhammad Gouye, Sengalese, 6'11 center. He's one of the best recruits to the program in the past decade. And plus, they bring in a couple names you might not know, but like South Alabama transfer Michael Flowers, he dropped 21 a night last season. I think he's the guy who will kind of get them into that conversation. I don't know if they're going to break through and make the tournament. If you told me this was a four-bid league, I'd buy it. But Washington State did go 5-4 and four against 2021 NCAA tournament teams last season. I've got them 52, and I've got Colorado slipping a little bit. They lose... McKinley Wright, Jariah Horn, Deshaun Schwartz, they're all gone. That's going to be a lot of voids to fill. How about this? What do you what do you want to say, Parrish? Remember when they were the computer trick? I trickers? knew it. I knew it. I know. Well, I don't it's going to be tough for them to do that this year. They've got Evan Batty, who's about 6'8, 275. He's he's now King Buff. So is Zion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Evan Batty doesn't quite have the upside of Zion Williamson, but how about this? Colorado has the best recruiting class in the conference heading into the season. Um, but I don't. I think this is just going to be a step back year. NIT, and then maybe a year from now, Colorado gets back into the mix of the NCAA tournament. And then I've got Stanford behind them and ahead of Oregon State. I just feel like this is a program that can't quite fully get its gate going under Jared Haas. But they do have... You know, he, they actually do well as a staff in recruiting. Like, there's a 6'7 freshman forward who you're going to enjoy watching named Harrison Ingram. He's going to be the next future pro, most likely NBA player, to play for this program. But they only have really one be- player back on the roster who averaged more than eight points last season, uh, or two players, uh, Jaden Dallaire and Spencer Jones. Dallaire was one of the most improved guys in the conference, but I don't know, man. Um, the backcourt is a huge question here, and I don't think Stanford overcomes that throughout the course of the season. So... Um, we can get to the bottom edge of the conference in a second here, but that's that's how I have it going. I have zone in that top four, and then I go Wazoo, Colorado, Stanford, and then Oregon State at eight. Yeah, I just looked at my ballot. I did have it UCLA, Oregon, USC, Arizona at four, and Oregon State at five. And I guess I would, I'd be a believer in Beaver Fever and say we can be a five bid league with Arizona and Oregon State joining UCLA, Oregon, and USC. You get seventeen million dollars. You got to go back to the NCAA tournament. I know hey, they, they'll have a shot. I'm, I'm, 
I'm selling a little bit on uh, and it took, like, and I'm not like trying to goof around. That is awesome. It's fin- oh. <laughs> to go from. Are you like, kidding me? You, you're going to enter the following season on the hot with some real job pressure. Instead, you beat Tennessee, Oklahoma State, Loyola, Chicago, and it's worth seventeen point two guaranteed dollars. Seventeen point two million. I know. That's now, the dream. Now, now it's like, and I know nobody thinks of it this way. Nobody, no coach ever thinks of it this way. Well, some might, but now it's like, I'm good. Whatever happens going forward. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, by the time this contract's up, I'm, I'm approaching, I'm in, I'm at retirement age. If, if nothing goes well going forward, I'm going to walk away from this thing near retirement age with $17.2 million. Life's good. It's great. Yes. And plus you're, you're coaching Oregon state. So, uh, there's not a deep history of NCAA tournament appearances, and you, I think you can live off an Elite Eight run at that school for minimum five years. Uh, bottom half or bottom. Um, when they got to pay you seventeen point two million dollars, <laughs> that's the other thing that buys you security. They can't. They can't afford to let you no, go. No, no, he'll be there for a while. And good on Wayne Tinkle. That was a very fun team and run to cover in person. Bottom third of the league. I go this order: Arizona State, Washington, Utah, and then Cal. Quick little bite on each of these from me at Arizona State. I mean, Marcus Bagley is going to be able to eat a ton. He is. Uh, he's just going to, I think he's going to have a huge statistical season. I don't know if that's going to correlate to the Sun Devils making an NCAA tournament run. I'm not projecting that. Uh, he, Bagley debated going pro. Didn't show well at the Combine at all. But having seen him play up close and personal last season, he's got the size and tools to be a top 10 player in this conference. There's no doubt about it. Bobby Hurley went out and he basically gutted the roster, bringing on nine New players after a super disappointing 11-14 season. Only three real minutes getters returned from last season's team. We'll see. I'm not overly optimistic, GP, but it is Hurley. He's overachieved before. We wait and see. I've got him 82. I've got Washington 94. I think that's a sneaky hot seat situation. Okay? 5-21 and 21 last year. Dude. Dude, 9-29 and 29 in the Pac-12 the past two seasons. The Mike Hopkins thing is wild to me because he comes in and, like, immediately – does well, you know, mm-hmm. 21 and 13 in year one, they finished tied for six in the pack 12, but then they win it the next season. They go 27 and nine, 15 and three in the league, finish outright pack 12 champions. And then next year finish dead last. I've always meant to look this up or have somebody in research, look it up. Like when is the last time a program was an outright power conference champion and then finished dead last in the league the next season. That's what Washington did from year two to year three under Mike Hopkins. And then last year was year four, five and 21 overall, four and 16 in the league, picked a, and finished 11th. And now, um, you know, they're picked, uh, you know, near the bottom. Yeah. In, in year five, um, last by Ken Palm. They're last in the Pac-12 at Ken Palm. Are they really? At one, <laughs> yes, at 102. And, you know, and, and recruiting has sort of has fallen off as well. They, they enrolled two five stars in that class of 2019. You know, Isaiah Stewart, Jaden McDaniels. That didn't go well. Since then, zero top 70 guys in the past two classes, and they don't have any top 100 guys in 2022 committed yet. It's a that thing really turned. And by the way, this is why when it comes to Hubert Davis, Tommy Lloyd, John Shire, I always say we'll see. You know, because who was what assistant coach was a bigger commodity when Mike was hired at Washington than Mike? 
I mean, he's going to be the next Syracuse coach. Right. And like when Washington got him, it was like, oh, man, Washington really got that done. And again, it got off to a nice start. And I'm not saying it can't turn around. I'm just saying I am shocked that it has turned the direction it turned so drastically because I don't think anybody on the planet saw this coming. I mean, again, you, you win the outright Pac-12 title and you enroll two five stars. Like it's, you are set up, you know, theoretically like, okay, Washington's going to, you know, be at the top of the Pac-12 for years to come. And it just turned and it's, it's gotten to a, a surprisingly not great place. On that very note, GP, I remember seeing Paolo Bancaro at Team USA sitting with another coach and, and that coach being so dismissively confident saying, no, no, that guy's going to Washington. His parents, he's from the area. Parents uh, went to school there. Went to school there. Correct. Uncle, uncle played football there. Yes. So just to, to your point specifically on that, like you want to see how the fortunes of a program can really turn sometimes on a single recruitment. Paolo Bancaro's on this roster, even if Washington has the season it has last season, Washington's the preseason top 50 team. But that's not where it's at because they don't have them. Um, oh. Real quick, you, I've got Utah, then Cal. Give it a season and a half for Utah. They got Craig Smith in from Utah State. A uh, bunch of turnover. But, oh, but, but, what do we got going on at Utah? Who's back? Baka. That's right. Booth Gotch is back at Utah. We love to see it. Boomerang transfer. Spent a little time in Minnesota. Now he comes back home to the promised land under Craig Smith. I actually think he will wind up being a very, very important player for the running Utes this season. But I'm not seeing, I'm just not seeing an NIT team here. Brandon Carlson, 9.4 points per game is the best returnee. They've got eight new guys in, but I'll go on the record with Craig Smith. I think he's going to wind up being one of the three best hires from this hiring cycle of 2021. I think he'll, in, in this regard, it's going to pay off for Utah's program more uh, or as, as much as maybe two or three other schools because I think Craig Smith is going to last more than a decade at that program. I think he'll get to the second weekend, Sweet 16 or better, at least three times for however long he's there. And again, just give it a little bit of time. Th- this will be a bottom, you know, bottom third of the league kind of team this season. I don't think Utah necessarily will project as an NCAA tournament team next season, but I think it'll be making that climb. And then by year three, I would expect Craig Smith to have this group and this program in the top half of the conference. And then at the bottom, I do have Cal. Now, if you want to make the case for Utah or Washington, I think that's fair. I think these are the three teams most likely to finish last. I will go Cal. They lose Matt Bradley, who bolted for San Diego State, which for me just knocked the Bears to the bottom. But almost everyone else is back from a team that went 9-20 and last season. It was last in the Pac-12 in points per possession, three-point accuracy, Effective field goal percentage defense, blocks, and steal rate. So Mark Fox has his work cut out for him. There are signs that it's going to get better for Cal, but you know we try and give you transparency and honesty here, and it would be quite shocking if this group wound up being, say, 6th, 7th, or 8th best in the conference this season. At least for me, I just I, I project it as, a, as, a, as the bottom team in the league. But overall... Pac-12 should have a solid year, but not a great year. I don't think this is going to be a conference that is better than fifth best overall in the country. Uh, We mentioned Jerry Palm's got it projected as four bids. I think five is the max here, which is which is a bit ironic considering the conference is coming off. It's you know one of its best performances ever in the history of the NCAA tournament. I mean the 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 league just 
lit on fire last March. Getting that to translate to this season, it's going to be really hard because, again, you know, 15, 16, 17 of the best players from the conference out of, you know, 17 out of the best, say, 22, 23 guys in this league a season ago, they're no longer here. So it will be a bit of changeover. But you've got UCLA leading the way, and I think that's very important because uh, UCLA and Arizona are the two most important schools, men's basketball programs in this conference. As long as you've got one of them heading into a season with, you know, top five status, national championship aspirations, that will always be good for the Conference of Champions. And that's what we'll have going in this year. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Devontae. Bandu, legend, Chester Larnell. Thank you guys and guys for listening once again to the Iron College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. It really does help. Please go do that. Rate it, review it, five stars, nice comments, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.